Hey everybody, it's Jake Heller back again for another episode of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Hope everybody is having an awesome weekend. As usual, a lot to cover on today's show. Nothing new. NASCAR's return this weekend at Watkins Glen International. Not just a return from a two-week break from the Olympics, but also a return to Watkins Glen after it was canceled last year because of COVID-19. So obviously going to be previewing those three races, Truck Series, Xfinity Series, and Cup Series. But also, football is back. And yeah, I get it. It's preseason, and it's the Hall of Fame game, and the Hall of Fame game itself was a bit of a dud. My good friend Josh Manley even said that he didn't even watch most of the game on Thursday night. Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys, arguably the two most popular teams in the NFL. I'll always stand by that. But obviously, the game was a bit of a dud itself. Even though you had 7.3 million people watching it, more than the Olympics, I think that just shows how powerful and how popular the NFL is. Despite having guys like Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins at quarterback for the Steelers, in the case of the Dallas Cowboys, Garrett Gilbert, Ben DiNucci, and Cooper Rush. Obviously, the Hall of Fame game, it's, yeah, it has some meaning and significance to it with this being Hall of Fame weekend, and especially for the Pittsburgh Steelers when you have Bill Cower, Troy Polamalu, Alan Fanica, and Donnie Shell going in, and in the case of the Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson, and Drew Pearson. Obviously, Donnie Shell, Jimmy Johnson, Drew Pearson, obviously, the huge, huge impact that they had on the team, their teams in the 70s, whether it was Shell and Pearson. And then, of course, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson in the 90s. And for, for Bill Cower's case, into the 2000s, along with Troy Polamalu and Alan Fanica. But anyway, my point is, it was a smart move by both teams to keep star power out of that game. A meaningless preseason game. Especially Ben Roethlisberger being 39 years old. This being his 18th season could potentially be his last season for all we know. But obviously smart move not playing him, Juju Smith-Schuster, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, the list goes on. And in the case of the Dallas Cowboys, yeah, smart move obviously not having Ezekiel Elliott out there or CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. Um, of course, we know Amari Cooper's hurt and everything, but especially a smart move not playing Dak Prescott, given what happened to him, the gruesome injury that he suffered week five of last year. But I think what I take away from this game with the Steelers emerging victorious 16-3 over the Dallas Cowboys, to me, it still validates that I have no faith in Mason Rudolph whatsoever. There's no consistency. There's no leadership. You know, people are saying that his, his arm mechanics – they have improved to a degree, but I'm still seeing, like I said, I'm still seeing mistakes that should be avoided, especially the one mistake with Mason Rudolph that I see all the time is when he tries handing the ball off to the running back, and sure enough, the ball falls out of his hands, fumble, there's the Dallas Cowboys to pick it up, and sure enough, that resulted in the only points that they would score on the night, a 29-yard field goal from Nisswander. But obviously... Both offenses looked anemic, and yeah, of course, I get that when all your backups are out. I mean, really, the only true starters that you saw for the Steelers on offense, Najee Harris, granted his first ever NFL game of any kind, and Chase Claypool. Chase had some amazing catches in that game. But with, like I said, with Mason, there's still just that consistency is not there. 
And, of course, that was the theme of the night was all the missed field goals between Nesswander and between Sam Sloman kicking for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But And the other factor, too, is Dwayne Haskins, him and Mason Rudolph, how they continue to battle for that backup position behind Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, you keep hearing, oh, you know, Dwayne Haskins, hearing it from Mike Tomlin especially, oh, yeah, Dwayne Haskins, you know, he's improved, he's matured, he's got a rapport with his receivers. Well, I sure as hell didn't see it on Thursday night. 8 out of 13 for 54 yards? Are you kidding me? Seriously. I mean, amongst the three quarterbacks that played for them on, on Thursday night, Josh Dobbs looked the best of them. 4 out of 6, 37 yards, and the touchdown that he had very, very late in the fourth quarter to Tyler Simmons. And, of course, Najee Harris, 7 carries, 22 yards, and one reception for three yards. And I think the biggest thing that you worry about is, like I said, the offensive line and how durable is Ben Roethlisberger going to be this year. Because let's face it, folks, if, God forbid, something happens to Ben Roethlisberger, whether it's an injury or COVID, this team is absolutely freaking screwed. We saw it. In, I mean, when it was amazing in itself that they went 8-8 eight and eight in 2019, especially when Mason Rudolph started a majority of the season. But obviously, between himself and Dwayne Haskins, there's not a lot of trust there. And, of course, the other touchdown on the night was Kalen Balazs, who they signed during the offseason. But, like I said, that was, that was pretty much the theme of the night, was just special teams, all of the mistakes by both kickers. And, overall, I mean, there were some things that, that did impress me and everything. When I, look at, when I look back on this game, Ben DiNucci, sure enough, he did get picked off in the game. But, definitely, like I said, definitely a dud of a game when you look back on it for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, man, what a crazy offseason that this has been. Aaron Rodgers finally gave in. He's back with the Green Bay Packers, but it sounds like this will be his last season in Titletown. And then, of course, what else other than Carson Wentz getting traded to the Indianapolis Colts, reuniting himself with Frank Reich, that strong relationship that they have, more than just player and coach obviously the strong bond that they have with each other in terms of faith but of course we know the one thing with Carson Wentz his whole time his five seasons in Philadelphia is his lack of durability and sure enough the latest example last Friday hurting his foot in practice and now having to get surgery this past week being out five to twelve five to twelve weeks five to twelve weeks and on top of that the Colts, their offensive line, I know Jason Boone has talked about how strong their offensive line is. And Quentin Nelson being out 5 to 12 weeks. So in reality, when you think of it, I mean, you can make the case that in some ways their season is, is already in serious jeopardy. The only way, though, that it could be saved once again, how ironic, like that one commercial back in the day, deja, deja, deja vu, is if the Indianapolis Colts traded for a quarterback by the name of Nick Foles. Because let's face it, folks, when you look at the Chicago Bears, Andy Dalton, he's a starter for now, but it ain't going to be for long, okay? 
Justin Fields, he's definitely waiting in the wings from everything I've seen and heard on Twitter. He's impressed a lot of people so far in training camp. It's only a matter of time. And honestly, if I were Matt Nagy, knowing that my job is on the line this year, I would seriously start Justin Fields week one. I mean, hell, what do you got to lose? What have you got to lose? So obviously, we saw this movie before in 2017 when Carson Wentz was having an MVP caliber season, tears his ACL against the Rams. Nick Foles comes in, and sure enough, they win the Eagles their first ever Super Bowl. And then in 2018, once again, when Carson Wentz, when he suffered the back injury against the Dallas Cowboys in December, Nick Foles takes over the rest of the season. Granted, it was a lucky, lucky win against the Chicago Bears, the double doink. But like Jason Boone talked about, that New Orleans Saints game, they led most of the game. And if not for Alshon Jeffrey dropping that ball, they go to the NFC Championship. And like Boone said, for the longest time during the Andy Reid days, the Chip Kelly days, and of course with Doug Peterson, they seem to have the Rams number. So that's the amazing thing to think about, as if Nick Foles could come in in place of Carson Wentz and potentially save the day once again. And I think that's the one amazing thing, and what makes the NFL so crazy is that all it takes is one injury, one trade, one acquisition, and your whole season could go in a completely different direction. So I know that a lot of people have been hyping up the Indianapolis Colts going into the season, rightfully so. And even Boone went as far as to say that, you know, he was going to place a future on the Indianapolis Colts winning the AFC South. But obviously, given the situation right now and how Jacob Eason, I know Frank Reich, I mean, he could be being coy about it. You know, him himself and Nick Foles, obviously a great relationship going back to that Super Bowl championship in Philadelphia. He said that Jacob Eason is the starter for the time being. But obviously, I think himself and, of course, Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, obviously they know they've seen this movie before. And if they want to save their season and their shot at potentially winning a Super Bowl, you've got to make that trade for Nick Foles. Because, I mean, let's face it, what is he going to do in Chicago? He's pretty much going to be the third string, third stringer behind Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. And like I said, obviously, I think Andy Dalton is on a very, very short leash, in my opinion. But what's special about this weekend is it's Hall of Fame weekend, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And what is special is we're honoring the 2020 class and the 2021 class. Now, if you go back and you remember, 2019 was the 100th season in the National Football League. And as a way to celebrate it, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they had a centennial class. So, obviously, when you look at the 2020 Hall of Fame class, a lot of these guys were... Very, very deserving of it. And of course, myself, I cannot forget and start off with one of the greatest Steelers of all time, Troy Polamalu, strong safety, arguably one of the greatest strong safeties I've ever seen in my life. And my friend Billy Lawson said at one time when Troy was in the prime of his career, late 2000s, early 2010s, right around the time that he won Defensive Player of the Year, he said what made... Troy so special was how he put 100% into every play. And I mean every single play. From 2003 to 2014, and of course that was the other great thing too, was seeing the trade that the Steelers made 
to get Troy Polamalu. They traded all the way up to 16th with the Kansas City Chiefs, talking about general manager Kevin Colbert and Bill Cower. And they made that trade, and they got arguably one of the greatest strong safeties ever. And, I mean, man, talk about a hard hitter, too. And especially when Troy, when he would go up, he would hit someone, and then as soon as he got done hitting him, hitting someone, he would bless himself three times. <laughs> and he would bless himself before every play. And I think that's the thing. I mean, he, he could be the freaking Tasmanian devil out on the field, but then be humble and be blessing himself after a hit and, and before every play. So... And obviously the two Super Bowl championships, Super Bowl 40, of course, with Bill Cowher, Super Bowl 43 with Mike Tomlin. Steve Atwater, another, and I was going to say another hard-hitting safety, spent all that time in Denver, sure enough, was there for their back-to-back Super Bowls. Let's not forget about that. Isaac Bruce, member of The Greatest Show on Turf, St. Louis Rams, when they won that championship in 1999. And... Steve Hutchinson, another one, guard, Seattle Seahawks, Minnesota Vikings, and of course finishing his career up with the Tennessee Titans. And Edron James, talking about the Colts, those first seven seasons of his career with the Indianapolis Colts, drafted fourth overall in 1999. Definitely, like I said, definitely a deserving class as far as the modern era candidates. But what made it special is... With the Pro Football Hall of Fame, like I said, this centennial class that they had. And of course, I got to start off with none other than my favorite coach of all time, Bill Cower. Bill Cower from Crafton, Pennsylvania, just four miles from where Heinz Field is at right now, grew up there and went to... North Carolina State, and tried his best to make it in the NFL as a bubble player with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns. But obviously, being a special teams player and, of course, the knee injuries that he went through, he knew in the back of his mind that he always wanted to be a coach. And the late, great Marty Schottenheimer, who sadly passed away in February, obviously Marty saw that in him when he became the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And sure enough, that was his first NFL coaching gig was special teams coach with the Cleveland Browns under Marty Schottenheimer. And then, of course, when Marty got fired at the end of 1988, he followed Marty to Kansas City. He became the defensive coordinator and formed a great relationship with arguably the greatest coach in NFL history, Bill Belichick. And I love that story about how in the spring of 89, they met at Giants Stadium on a Saturday. And Bill said, listen, he said, I'll tell you, everything that you need to know because they're making a bit of a switch. Bill was the defensive coordinator for the Giants under Parcells, but Bill had been coaching linebackers. Bill Cower had been coaching defensive backs. And Bill Cower said to him, he said, listen, I'll spend the morning teaching you about defensive backs. You could spend the afternoon teaching me about linebackers. It formed a great relationship. And then at the end of 1991, Chuck Knoll, after 23 seasons with, seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers, those four championships in the 70s, decided to retire. And how about that? The kid from Carlinton High School, Crafton, Pennsylvania, Bill Cower, was hired to become the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 15 seasons on the job, his first six seasons, making the playoffs every single time. The only other one to do that is the late, great Paul Brown. And then, of course, obviously, with Bill 
you think about all of the postseason heartbreaks that he endured. 1994 against the Chargers, 1995 the Super Bowl against the Cowboys, a couple other AFC championships, 97 against the Broncos, 2001 and 2004 against his buddy Bill Belichick and the Patriots. But for it to all finally come together in 2005 and to win your last four games knowing you could not lose whatsoever and then to go become the first ever team, sixth seed, to go on the road beating the Bengals, the Colts, the Broncos, and for all to come together, Super Bowl Forty, and beating the Seattle Seahawks 21-10. And then, of course, stepping down after that, taking the gig with CBS in 2007, of course, sadly losing his wife, Kay, but thankfully finding love again with his second wife, Veronica. Definitely an emotional moment when David Baker, when he surprised himself and Jimmy Johnson last year on the CBS set and the Fox set, telling them that they were going in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Jimmy Johnson, like I said, obviously how dominant he was in college with the Miami Hurricanes, going to the Dallas Cowboys when they were in utter disarray. Jerry Jones firing Tom Landry after 29 seasons on the job. And like Michael Irvin said, nobody moved men men better than Coach Johnson. And how the psychology that Jimmy had let the mind control the body, not the body control the mind. And immediately, that Herschel Walker trade and getting guys, like I said, like Emmett Smith in that 1990 draft. And to win those two championships in a row, 92 and 93, and unfortunately for himself and Jerry Jones, how the two of them butted heads, and it all came to an end just like that. And it's taken years and years and years, but that was a heartwarming moment on Thursday night when Jerry Jones was on the Fox set and told Jimmy that he was going to be going into the Dallas Cowboys ring of honor this coming season. And Jimmy, I love Jimmy's sense of humor. He said, while I'm still alive. (laughs) And then, of course, spent some time away, spent a few more years with the Miami Dolphins. But his time with the Dolphins, obviously he, he wanted to help bring Dan Marino that championship. But I think with Jimmy, he said, obviously, in a span of a year, 97 and 98, losing his mother, then losing his father. He said that definitely took a lot out of him. And he has been an absolute natural on the NFL on Fox. Like I said, just like Bill Cowher with CBS, and now Jimmy Johnson with Fox, two great coaches and two great, two great analysts on TV. Amongst others, Steve Sable, administrator and president of NFL Films. We cannot forget about the Sable family. And it's, it's such a shame that Steve passed away from brain cancer, a great guy and did so much for the game. Paul Tagliabue, who was our commissioner from 1990, 1989 to 2006. And, of course, George Young, a huge part, the general manager of the New York Giants, when they won those two Super Bowls under Bill Parcells. And, of course, the senior class, Harold Carmichael from the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the tallest receivers I've ever seen. Jim Cobert, Bobby Dillon, Cliff Harris from the Dallas Cowboys, who got piled drove by Jack Lambert in Super Bowl X after harassing Roy Jarella when he missed that field goal. Winston Hill, Alex Karras, Mongo, from Blazing Saddles. Spent some time in the NFL with the Detroit Lions. Donnie Schell, a member of the Steel Curtain Dynasty in the 70s, finally getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Duke Slater, Max Speedy, and Ed Sprinkle. That's the centennial class for 2020. Now on to the 2021 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. And it starts off with none other than one of my childhood heroes, 
Peyton Manning. What else can you say? My dad said it best. If there was one word to describe Peyton Manning, it's perfection. This man lives, eats, lives, eats, breathes, and sleeps football. That's been his, that has been his motto ever since he was a kid, watching his dad Archie play, watching Dan Marino play. And the one story that always stood out to me was Jim Mora and Jim Ursay when they were trying to, the 1998 draft, when they had the first pick, they interviewed Peyton Manning, they interviewed Ryan Leaf, and they asked both of them, they said, what are you going to do if you're drafted first overall? And Ryan Leaf said, oh, you know, I, I'm going to take my family out to Vegas and we're going to party. Peyton Manning, he said, I'm not done yet with school in Tennessee, but please send me all the tapes that you can of the offense so I can learn the offense as quick as I can. That's a work ethic. That's being, like I said, that is being a perfectionist. And Peyton, like I said, Peyton could throw six touchdowns in a game, but he could have five incomplete passes, and those five incomplete passes would drive him nuts. And definitely, like I said, Indianapolis, for the longest time, it was known for two things, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and basketball. And it definitely became more of a football town there with Peyton Manning. And finally getting over the hump, finally winning that championship in February 2007. Then, of course, the sad end, missing the, the entire 2011 season with a neck injury. And going to the Denver Broncos in 2012 and being a contender year after year after year. And like I said, the ultimate, the ultimate way to go out to win a Super Bowl. Granted, like I said, his, his arm had given out, his foot had given out, and that defense had a huge part in them winning that Super Bowl against the Carolina Panthers. But in my mind, nobody, and I mean nobody, I know Tom Brady hasn't retired yet, but nobody in my mind deserved to go out as a Super Bowl champion more than Peyton Manning did. So I'm absolutely thrilled to see him going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, that was a no-brainer that he, he was going to be first ballot. Should have been unanimous for all I know. But 539 touchdowns, 71,940 passing yards. Like I said, one of my idols growing up. And a great player, but an even greater person. Alan Fanica, who was a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1998 to 2007, part of that Super Bowl 40 championship. Tom Flores. And with Tom Flores, he was a player. He won a Super Bowl as a player. And then as an assistant coach under John Madden when the Raiders won their first Super Bowl, Super Bowl Eleven. Then, of course, John retired. We know about the legendary career that he had in television. And Tom Flores was the one that took over the Raiders, guided them to two Super Bowls, one against the Philadelphia Eagles, the other against the Washington Redskins when they looked unbeatable. Calvin Johnson, one of the best receivers, 20, 2007 to 2015, just like Barry Sanders, definitely retired way, way too early. But, oh, my God, 1,964 yards in 2012. And all the records with the Lions, 731 receptions, 11,619 yards. Definitely, like I said, Megatron, one of the best built wide receivers I've ever seen. John Lynch, safety, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they won that championship in 2002 and that amazing defense that he had. And, of course, the impact that he's had ever since then. Spent some time, obviously, in Denver towards the end of his career. But 
the TV work that he did on Fox and now being the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, the things that him and Kyle Shanahan do, their willingness to trade for anyone to make the team better. Bill Nunn, who was a scout on the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1968 until his passing in 2014. What's so special about Bill was obviously back in the 60s, we know how racially divided this country was. But what made Bill so special was he went to all these black colleges down south and was able to find gems like John Stallworth, Alabama A&M, Mel Blunt, Donnie Shell, South Carolina State. How fitting that, you know, like I said, they're both going in this weekend. And I think that's the thing. He had a knack for locating talent at small colleges. And even, like I said, another example Jack Lambert, Kent State University. But like I said, just the impact that he had on the game and how he was able to go to like all these smaller black colleges and find great talent like that. Drew Pearson, the original Hail Mary when you think of it, did win the Super Bowl in 1977 against the Denver Broncos. But like I said, the original Hail Mary, 1975 divisional round, went Roger Staubach throws that Hail Mary, and Drew Pearson was the one to catch it. Long, long overdue. And then, of course, Charles Woodson. Same class as Peyton Manning in 1998. Two stints with the Raiders, one of Kyle Williams' favorite, and then, of course, a stint with Green Bay. Sure enough, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. But like I said, two phenomenal classes, 2020 and 2021, and I definitely can't wait to see the ceremonies. So before we get into our NASCAR talk and preview the triple header weekend at Watkins Glen, sure enough, next weekend, the first week of preseason football in the NFL. And let's not forget, folks, it's no longer four weeks of preseason. It's now three with the addition of the 18th week, a 17th game in the National Football League. We have three weeks of preseason and we have a bye week. Labor Day weekend before the 2021 season kicks off September 9th with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl champions, hosting the Dallas Cowboys. So real quick, we're just going to look at the week one preseason schedule. Thursday night, August 12th at 7.30, two games going on. The Washington football team at the New England Patriots. That's 7.30 on NFL Network. And at the same time, the Pennsylvania rivalry, the Pittsburgh Steelers travel to the Philadelphia Eagles. Friday the 13th, 7 o'clock, the Tennessee Titans. Woo! At the Atlanta Falcons, let's not forget, folks, Arthur Smith, the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, was the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. Also at 7 o'clock, the Buffalo Bills at the Detroit Lions. And then, of course, the nightcap, 10 o'clock on NFL Network, Josh Manley's Dallas Cowboys at the Arizona Cardinals. Saturday, August 14th, 1 o'clock. As a matter of fact, many games on NFL Network that Saturday. The Miami Dolphins taking on the Chicago Bears. Then the next game at 4 o'clock, the Denver Broncos at Johnny Glow's Minnesota Vikings. 7 o'clock, the New Orleans Saints at the Baltimore Ravens. And then, of course, the next game on NFL Network, the Cleveland Browns at the Jacksonville Jaguars. We've got the Snoopy Bowl, for that matter, the New York Jets at the New York Giants, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 
Then for 8 o'clock Eastern time, Houston Texans at the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, a lot of uncertainty with the Houston Texans. You're hearing all of this talk that Deshaun Watson, before you know it, could end up being a Philadelphia Eagle. 8.30, the Kansas City Chiefs at the San Francisco 49ers. 9 o'clock Eastern time, Kyle Williams' Las Vegas Raiders. He, matter of fact, he just told me this morning, not only is he going to September 19th, Myself and Kyle Williams, we will be at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh as his Raiders take on my Steelers. But October 24th, he'll finally get to see Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas when the Raiders take on the Philadelphia Eagles. This game, 9 o'clock Eastern time next Saturday, they're taking on the Seattle Seahawks. And then finally, 10 o'clock Eastern time on NFL Network. Once again, we have the Snoopy Bowl. Here we have the Battle of L.A., the Los Angeles Chargers at the Los Angeles Rams. Of course, as I'm sure we're going to hear about Matt Stafford once again being a Los Angeles Ram. I know that he bruised his thumb a little bit in practice the other day. But nevertheless, obviously, two very, very promising teams, especially with the Super Bowl being in Los Angeles this year. And then finally, one more NFL preseason game Sunday, August 15th, 1 o'clock. The Carolina Panthers at the Indianapolis Colts. Ironically... At the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the infield road course, the cup race is going to be starting at the same time, 1 o'clock. So obviously, I feel like attendance will make you wonder who's going to go to the game, who's going to go to the racetrack. So finally, the triple hitter weekend at Watkins Glen International. So first off, today at 1230 on Fox Sports 1 is the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series making their return to Watkins Glen for the first time since 2000. The Truck Series, they went there from 1996 to 2000. Had a very diverse group of winners there when you think of it. Ron Hornaday Jr., my favorite truck racer of all time, went in the first race there in 1996. 53-year-old Joe Rutman the year after that. And then, of course, Ron Fellows, one of the best road course drivers I've ever seen in my life winning there in 1998, 1999. Then, of course, Greg Biffle in 2000 before winning his Truck Series championship. This race is going to be 72 laps long. Stage 1, lap 20. Stage 2, lap 45. Also, don't forget that this is the last regular season race for the Camping World Truck Series. Their playoffs begin Friday night, August 20th at Gateway near St. Louis. So the drivers that have already clinched the spot, in the 2021 Camping World Truck Series playoffs. Of course, John Hunter Nemechek, he wrapped up the regular season title last month at Knoxville Raceway. Ben Rhodes, Todd Gilliland, our defending champion Sheldon Creed, Austin Hill, Zane Smith, and Matt Crafton. Bob Pockers from Fox Sports said that there are still three spots available for today. Carson Hosevar, Stuart Friesen, and Chandler Smith, they're the ones that hold the spots, and the three drivers that have a shot to knock them out Derek Krauss, Tyler Ankrum, and Johnny Sauter. So taking a look at the starting lineup for today's United Rentals 176 at the Glen. On the pole is our winner from Knoxville Raceway, Austin Hill. Actually ran in the K&N East Series race last night. Finished second to Corey Heim. It was the ARCA race, excuse me. Starting second is Todd Gilliland, who won at Circuit of the Americas back in May. Chandler Smith in third, Matt Kraft in fourth, Ben Rhodes in fifth, who won at the Daytona Road Course back in February. John Hunter Nemechek in sixth. Of course, John Hunter had the truck to beat on the Daytona Road Course before running out of gas. 
Derek Krauss in seventh, Zane Smith in eighth, Carson Hosevar ninth, and Tyler Ankrum in tenth. Eleventh is Danny Bone, twelfth is Ryan Truex, thirteenth, Tate Fogelman, fourteenth, Johnny Sauter, fifteenth is Christian Eckes, sixteenth, like I said, Corey Heim, who won the Arca race last night at Watkins Glen. 17th is Stuart Friesen. 18th, Haley Deegan made a bit of news yesterday saying that she wants to run in some Xfinity races next year, but plans on coming back for the full truck series season. Obviously, spend as much time as you can in the truck series, Haley. Wait until it's right to move up to the Xfinity series. Sure, get some races under your belt, but like I said, Xfinity full-time, that's still a long ways away. Our defending champion, Sheldon Creed, in 19th, won at the Daytona Road Course last year. Austin Wayne Self in 20th, Wheelman Josh Berry in 21st, Tanner Gray 22nd, Kaz Gralla, of course we know how great Kaz Gralla is on road courses, did a phenomenal job at the Daytona Road Course back in February, and of course the Circuit of the Americas, when you think of it, had a, an excellent shot to win that race. Lawless Allen in 24th, and 25th was supposed to be Chase Purdy, but Chase tested positive for COVID-19. And taking his place is none other than A.J. Allmendinger. Now, of course, A.J. is going to have to drop to the back with it being a driver change. But still, you know A.J. Allmendinger is going to be a factor before it's all said and done. 26th is Norm Benning. 27th, Jack Wood. Today's his birthday. 28th, Jennifer Joe Cobb. 29th, Will Rogers. One of the great young road course talents that I've ever seen. 30th is Grant Enfinger. 31st was supposed to be Ross Chastain, but... Let's not also forget the Ross Chastain. It was announced earlier in the week that Trackhouse Racing, they will be keeping the number one, but instead of Kurt Busch, it will be Ross Chastain behind the wheel. And that makes me happy that they're keeping the number one. Obviously, the last link to Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. And of course, for Kurt Busch, Kurt was very gracious about it. He said that Ross, is a, he's been a good young teammate, and he feels like he has many, many wins ahead of him. It remains to be seen. Are they still going to get their engines and their chassis from Richard Childress Racing? Or in Chip Ganassi's case, are they still going to get the engines from Hendrick Motorsports? But Ross wanted to run this race, but with it being the regular season finale for the truck series, no cup drivers are allowed in that or the playoff races. So taking his place is his younger brother, Chad Chastain. 32nd is Taylor Gray making his truck series debut. Josh Rayome, Spencer Boyd, Bobby Roos, Timmy Hill, Roger Roos, Parker Kligerman, Paul Menard. Back in the truck series and 40th on the field is Sam Mayer, who also ran in the ARCA race last night and will be in the Xfinity race today driving that eight car for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller. So when I look at today's race, and like I said, Todd Gilliland, he won there. At Circuit of the Americas in May, you have Ben Rhodes, who won on the Daytona Road Course in February. And, of course, underdogs in some ways, but Kaz Gralla, given the equipment. A.J. Allmendinger having to start at the back of the field. I think this is A.J.'s first truck race since about 2007. And Sheldon Creed, like I said, Sheldon won on the Daytona Road Course last year. But I think that I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here, and I do expect... John Hunter Nemechek, obviously, to be a factor as usual. But I'm just going to go off of momentum, and I'm actually going to take the 38 of Todd Gilliland. Like I said, they won at Circuit of the Americas, finished second at Nashville after having to start at the back of the field. I feel like this team is getting hot at the right time before the playoffs start, 
And I would not be surprised one bit if Todd Gillen and that 38 team, if they ended up being a part of the championship four on November 5th at Phoenix. And then at 4 o'clock on CNBC, that's right, CNBC, the Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey 200 at the Glen for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. What a name. And on the poll is the number seven of Justin Allgaier. Starting second is Austin Sindrick. And, of course, let's not forget that Austin, the great road course ace that he is, but the first Xfinity Series win of his career came at Watkins Glen in 2019. This race was canceled last year because of COVID-19 along with the Cup Series. Those were moved to the, to the Daytona Road Course. And, of course, Austin won that race. Third is Daniel Hemrick. Like I said, Daniel is very underrated on road courses. He did a lot of go-karting when he was growing up. Fourth is Harrison Burton. Fifth, Justin Moneymaker Haley, who has a truck series win on a road course in 2018 at Canada. And sixth is his teammate, A.J. Allmendinger, who scored the first cup win of his career in 2014 at Watkins Glen. And, of course, had an excellent battle with Austin Sindrick in 2019, only to finish second and then end up getting disqualified because the car failed post-race inspection. Seventh is Myatt Snyder. Eighth is Jeb Burton, who celebrated a birthday yesterday. And ninth is Brett Moffat, who's celebrating a birthday today. And congratulations to himself and his wife, Stephanie. They're expecting their first child in February. Tenth is Riley Herbst. Eleventh is Noah Gregson. And Noah seems to be very, very underrated on road courses. Matter of fact, got a West Series win at Sonoma, I believe it was, a couple of years ago. 12th is Jeremy Clements, and like I said, one of the biggest upsets in Xfinity Series history, winning at Road America in 2017 with the little family-owned team that they have out of South Carolina. Another great, two great family-owned teams for that matter, Ryan Sieg in 13th out of Georgia, Brandon Brown in 14th out of Virginia. And 15th is Ty Gibbs, let's not forget, winning in his Xfinity Series debut back in February on the Daytona Road Course, coming so close to winning at Mid-Ohio in June, and obviously finished second last night in the ARCA race to Corey Heim. 16th, Jade Buford, another one with some great road racing experience. 17th is Tommy Joe Martins. Tommy said that he's going to scale back a little bit next year, let some other drivers drive his car. 18th is Michael Annette, who had surgery after missing the last two races. Austin Dillon filled in for him at Atlanta and Josh Berry at New Hampshire. But like I said, Michael got the surgery. He rested up during the two-week break because of the Olympics, and he is back today. 19th is Josh Williams, 20th, Landon Castle, 21st, Brandon Jones, ran the ARCA race last night too. 22nd is Kyle Weatherman, 23rd is Sam Mayer, 24th, Chris Wright, 25th, Joe Graff Jr., 26th, Alex LeBay, being from Canada, tons of road racing experience as well. 27th is Jesse Little, 28th, Jeffrey Earnhardt, his uncle, Dale Earnhardt Jr., believe it or not, Dale Earnhardt Jr. did win a Bush Series race at Watkins Glen in 1999, outbreaking Ron Fellows going into that first corner. And hey, might have only led one lap that day, but obviously it was the one that mattered most. Matt Mills, Josh Balicki, Colby Howard, Timmy Hill, Austin Dillon in 33rd, obviously trying to get better at these road courses. Michael Munley in 34th, Preston Pardis in 35th, and 36th making his return to the Xfinity Series for the first time since August of 2019 at Bristol. Eric Jones driving the 31 car for Jordan Anderson. Kyle Tilley, David Smith in the 52 for Jimmy Means. Bailey Curry, Stephen Light, 
in 40th, and the only car that failed to make the race was the 13 of David Starr. So 82 laps for the NASCAR Xfinity Series later today. Stage 1, lap 20. Stage 2, lap 40. And of course, like I said, I think it's going to be the usual suspects. Austin Sendrick, A.J. Allmendinger, Ty Gibbs, and I think you're going to have a few dark horses in there as well. Like I said, Justin Haley. Can't forget about Justin Allgaier. He actually has two Xfinity wins on road courses back in 2018, Mid-Ohio and Road America. But ultimately, ultimately, when it's all said and done, I'm going to take the 22 of Austin Sendrick to win today at Watkins Glen. And then tomorrow, like I said, back on the schedule for the first time since 2019, after this race was canceled because of COVID-19 last year, the 35th annual Go Bowling at the Glen, 3 o'clock on NBCSN. In the booth is Rick Allen and Steve Latart. And Steve was a part of Jeff Gordon's four wins at Watkins Glen. Three in a row for that matter, 1997, 1998, 1999, and 2001 as a crew member on the 24 team. And this is what, what's so cool about Watkins Glen is NBC does a radio style broadcast. So when they go off into turn one and up the SS and on the back straightaway, Mike Bagley from MRN Motor Racing Network, he will be providing the call. When they go off into the chicane, then the call will be handed over to none other than Dale Earnhardt Jr. And like I said, Dale, early on in his career, moderate success, winning the Bush race there in 1999, finishing third there in 2003. You know, and he'll admit he was not the best road course racer, but at the same time, he wasn't the worst either. So Dale will carry the action from the chicane to the carousel and onto that long straightaway before handing it off to Jeff Burton. Jeff had a few good runs at Watkins Glen himself. On the pole is the number two of Brad Keselowski. And Brad, talk about being a bridesmaid at Watkins Glen. Second three years in a row, 2011 and 2012, to Marcus Ambrose. And what an amazing battle those two had in 2012. Beating the absolute crap out of each other after Kyle Busch was spun out on the last lap of the race. And then finishing second to Kyle in 2013 and how that came back to bite Brad. Brad said that he could have moved him. He could have moved him to win that race and secure a playoff spot, but he didn't want to do it. And because of that, that ended up costing him a playoff spot in 2013. And, of course, Brad also has a nationwide series win at Watkins Glen. He won there in 2013. Starting second is his soon-to-be ex-teammate. I say teammate loosely. Joey Logano. Joey has a cup win at Watkins Glen in 2015, along with several other Xfinity wins. And another soon-to-be ex-teammate, Ryan Blaney, in third. Ryan finished fourth in this race two years ago after having to start at the back of the field. Fourth is Kyle Larson, who won at Sonoma back in June. Fifth is Kevin Harvick. Kevin has a cup win at Watkins Glen in 2006, and then a Bush Series win there in 2007. Denny Hamlin, who could ever forget back in 2016, winning at Watkins Glen with back spasms, holding off guys like Martin Trex Jr., Brad Keselowski, and Joey Logano for the win. His teammate Christopher Bell in seventh. Christopher, the first win of his career coming on the Daytona Road Course back in February. Eric Amarillo, eighth. Martin Trex Jr. in ninth. Martin won here in 2017 en route to his championship. And rounding out the top ten is Alex Bowman. Alex, his best finish here was 14th in 2019. His teammate Chase Elliott. The first two wins, uh, I was going to say, the first one of Chase Elliott's career here at Watkins Glen in 2018. Nick Bonk still to this day talks about what a, 
what an emotional moment that was, just the energy out of the crowd. And from that point on, Chase pretty much asserted himself as the best road course driver in the sport. Won at Watkins Glen again in 2019. And like I said, just like Austin Sendrick, when Watkins Glen was taken off the schedule last year because of COVID and they put the Daytona road course on the schedule, sure enough, Chase ended up winning that race. Seven road course victories. Two at Watkins Glen, two at the Roval, the Daytona road course, Circuit of the Americas, and Road America on the 4th of July this year. Yeah, easy to figure out who I'm leaning towards. 12th is Ross Chastain. Ross has been amazing this year on road courses. Finished 4th in the rain at Austin, Texas. 7th at Sonoma. Another top 10 at Road America. I think he's definitely going to be a factor come tomorrow. Tyler Reddick in 13th, who won the pole at Austin, Texas back in May. Matt DiBenedetto, who finished 4th at fifth at Watkins Glen two years ago. William Byron, Willie B. Woo! I know his rookie year in 26 or 2018 didn't have much to write home about, but still got a top 10 at Watkins Glen that year. Austin Dillon in 16th. Kurt Busch in 17th. Won a Busch race there in 2006. An amazing battle. Himself and Robbie Gordon beating the crap out of each other that last lap. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in 18th. He'll be the first to tell you road courses are not his cup of tea either. Cole Custer in 19th, and Kyle Busch in 20th. Kyle, two wins at Watkins Glen, 2008 and 2013, along with an Xfinity win there in 2017. Daniel Suarez in 21st, very, very underrated road course driver. Finished third there as a rookie in 2017. Eric Jones in 22nd. Ryan Priest, 23rd, got a top 10 at the Daytona Road Course back in February. Chris Busher, a very, very underrated road course talent. I mean, his first nationwide win came at Mid-Ohio in 2014. And our Daytona 500 champion, Michael McDowell, road racing, that was his bread and butter growing up. And like I said, his first NASCAR win of any kind, it was the Xfinity Series at Road America in 2016. Bubba Wallace in 26, Chase Briscoe ran the ARCA race last night to get some experience, unfortunately had some mechanical issues. Ryan Newman in 28th has a Bush win there in 2005. Corey LaJoy, 29th, Justin Moneymaker Haley in 30th, Anthony Alfredo, Garrett Smithley, Kyle Tilly, Josh Balicki, Quinn Huff, James Davison, and rounding out the field making their cup debut is R.C. Enerson. So 90 laps tomorrow at Watkins Glen. It goes by in a hurry. Doesn't even take two and a half hours sometimes. Stage one, lap 20. Stage two, lap 40. And like I said, I think it's going to be like the usual suspects. Even though Brad Keselowski's on the pole and he's been close to Watkins Glen, road courses have been hit or miss for himself. Jeremy Bowen's on the two crew this year. I do feel like Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney, I do expect something out of them. Kyle Larson, Kyle's best finish at Watkins Glen. He actually got a top five there as a rookie in 2014. But ultimately, when I look at the contenders, I'm thinking Joey Logano, I'm thinking Denny Hamlin, and of course, Martin Trex Jr. and Chase Elliott. And like I said, sprinkle in some dark horses too. Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain. And I think ultimately, ultimately, like I said, it's all going to be about track position. We know what happens at these road courses. You pit before the, the stage ends. You stay out. Everybody else comes in. You have your track position. You can check out on the field. The biggest thing with Watkins Glen is taking care of those tires, taking care of those brakes, not trying to carry too much speed into those corners as fast as it is. It's so easy for the car to wheel hop and spin out. We've seen it so many times. Turn one, especially at Watkins Glen. 
Happened to Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2002. Happened to Jeff Gordon in 2007. Two laps away from winning the race. Wheel hop the car going down to turn one. He spins out. Tony Stewart's there to take advantage and win the race. But speaking of Jeff Gordon, I don't think his record as the winningest road course driver of all time, I don't think it's going to last much longer. And you know where I'm going with this, folks. I think ultimately the guy that took over that 24 car initially in 2016 when he retired, Chase Elliott, I mean, 13 cup wins and seven of them are road courses. Let's face it. He could tie Tony Stewart tomorrow. And how ironic, Indianapolis, which means so much to Jeff Gordon, where he spent the second half of his childhood, to think that next weekend Chase Elliott could potentially tie Jeff Gordon for nine road course wins at the place that he basically grew up at. So that's what I'm leaning towards. Boone took Martin Trex Jr. in the 19. And to no surprise, I'm taking the number nine of Chase Elliott. I was a fool not to pick him for Road America on the 4th of July. I'm not going to make that same mistake same mistake the second time. Chase Elliott, my pick to go to Victory Lane tomorrow at Watkins Glen for today. Todd Gilliland in the Truck Series race, Austin Cindric in the Xfinity race. So that's going to do it for this episode of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Not one, but two episodes next week. Friday night, myself, Josh Manley, Timmy Bevan, Johnny Glow, the whole, getting the whole band back together on the Average Joe's podcast, doing a fantasy football mock draft. And then next Saturday, I'll be previewing the weekend at the Indianapolis Road Course. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Y'all take it easy.